there's a lot of restaurants that are trying to showcase real Mexican food and I think that that's something that I'm very, very happy with. The fact that it's growing and more people are actually accepting it and loving it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There's been a lot of talk in the media of late centered around the groundswell of Japanese restaurants opening and particularly omakase. But there's another amazing food movement many Australians have been praying for. Mexican. Not your usual Tex-Mex, but genuine offering immersed in the true food and drinks culture of Mexico. Alejandro Huerta is the consulting chef to new Mexican venue El Primo Sanchez. Alejandro, how are you? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's good to get you on the show. You've been involved in quite a few Mexican venues in Australia, but they're few and far between. What's the experience been like for you sharing your culture in Australia? It's been an interesting journey. I started first in, in Adelaide in Mexican society. And I think when I arrived seven years and a half ago, uh, Australians had a weird uh, uh, understanding and sort of expectation around Mexican food. I think that they expected and wanted a lot of Tex-Mex, which there are some things that are, in a certain way, sort of Mexican, like burritos. A lot of people think that they are not Mexican at all, but there are certain parts of the country, especially in the northern areas like Sinaloa or Sonora, where they actually do burritos. Very different to the ones that you, you have usually in the United States and even here in Australia, but in a certain way, they can be a bit Mexican. So first starting in Adelaide, it was an interesting experience. Uh, we had to find a way to make sure that we were catering for, for what the clients expected. Uh, at first, the first menu that I did, I remember I, I, wa- I want to be really Mexican doing mole de olla and trying to do carne en su jugo, which is from Guadalajara. Uh, but then I saw that the clients were not that much into it. And then the, the owners of that group sent me around the country to look into some restaurants, see what they were selling. I came here to Mexico, to uh, Loco, to uh, Frida Cantina, I think it was the name. And then little by little, I started seeing what people were liking. And then, of course, that has been changing at all. After that, I moved here to Sydney, worked for the guys from Chica Bonita. They had uh, a venue in Mali, which is an institution over there <laughs> and then they want to open another offering in, in, in the city in Clarence Street and with that one they wanted to do it a bit more Mexican uh, in, a, in a traditional way and they also wanted to make it a bit more like um, an actual restaurant the one in Manly it's really famous uh, with the burritos for lunch and then they just have like a small taco menu for dinner so with this one they want to also do some mains and do some other things and that, in all was a very good experience. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we were having a lot of fun trying to do pork belly with mole and trying to do tostadas more in the traditional way that are done in Mexico. Like for me, I was very happy to do uh, this tostada. It was the first thing that I fell in love when I was like four years old, which is this uh, ceviche made with fresh fish, uh, tomatoes, chilies, and then it's like mixed with the mayo and put on top of the tostada with some avocado. Uh, my mom has a picture of me as a four-year-old having those tostadas and a little sip of my dad's Corona. Um, and I was very happy that when I put it on the menu, people were really, really enjoying it. And then I did like another homage to my mom, uh, 
like rajas uh, con crema. Rajas is a poblano chili. And when you roast it and then and cut it in strips, in Mexico you call that rajas. And then you mix it with cream, a bit of uh, queso panela. Get the answer to that on Apple, what? Sorry, sorry, sorry. And then um, <laughs> my Apple Watch is just going to a bit crazy, sorry. And then, um, sorry, and then we use queso panela with the rajas. And in this case, that, that cheese is very traditional from Mexico. It's very similar to halloumi here. So that was the one that we were using. And it was a, a really good seller. Like, people were really enjoying it. And that made me a bit more confident about saying, like, okay, why don't we do actual Mexican food? Always trying to, to make it approachable. Uh, and make it using ingredients that you know that people here in Australia are going to like. Then COVID happened, and we had to close Chica Bonita in the CBD. We then came to an arrangement with the landlords, and then I, I had to, to Mali, and we stayed there in, honestly, those months of the first lockdown when we put the, uh, the food delivery apps. It was some of the craziest services I've done in my entire life. It was just so busy. Like, I never expected it to be like that. <laughs> I remember at first it was only three chefs, uh, three Mexican chefs, actually. And you have no idea. Like, if I tell you the stories about how many burritos, tacos, and fries we were selling, you will not believe me. <laughs> what, what, tell us what 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 we what was going out the door. <laughs> I remember like the first week we didn't have the food delivery apps, and sales were okay. You know there was a lot of like uh, takeaway, but once we put those apps, it was just ridiculous. Like I remember it was three chefs in the in the kitchen. Uh, my girlfriend she still works with me. She was running that restaurant. We've been working since there. She's called Galia. And she was in the past uh, doing tacos. Then uh, my other friend in the burrito section. And I was in the back, back section doing these uh, fries that are very famous there called carne fries, which is usually just French fries. Uh, then topped with this flank steak marinated in tecate beer and orange. Then put with some cheese melted in the salamander, finished with guacamole and pico de gallo. And I was in that section doing that and then doing also backup for the tacos and and that, and I remember that there was a moment where the docket holder was just crazy. Galia was calling me and saying, like, can you help me with these tacos? And she would tell me, like, oh, do 30 fish tacos, 22 cheeseburger, uh, 45 of the uh, pumpkin. And then all of a sudden I will finish them all. I will tell her, like, okay, do we need anything else? And she was just, yeah, 16 carne fries, 14 carne fries with no cheese. 14 veggie fries and then my friend in the burrito section he he was literally like like lost inside of the kitchen and that was every day for like three months and i crumbed an amount of fish that i think that a lot of people will never crumb in then in, the, in their entire lives i crumbed so much fish in those in those four months and it was just ridiculous uh, i mean i i really liked it really really enjoyed it but yeah, that was just like out of control crazy. That for me, I will always tell them like, I remember some friends were like, oh, you know, it's lockdown. It's a bit quiet. It's been very relaxed. And I was just like, well, it's not the same here in Mali, guys. Like <laughs> there was a moment where, where literally we had like, there was a moment where we had like probably 20 Uber drivers uh, outside the door. It was like, I was, I was worried that we were going to get probably fined because they were thinking like we were making a party, but it was just the drivers waiting for the food to be, even to them. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, that was just crazy. Like, you have no idea. I said, like, oh, I never expected this to happen. And then after that, um, the the people from Number 92, which is a small wine bar in Glebe, approached me. And I decided to take it. Like, I'm still really good friends with the guys from Chica, but I wanted to do something different, something else. I, I thought that I'm, I was very happy doing burritos and tacos, and I think that they, their approach on food is really good. They try to do really good food with good ingredients, even though it's uh, easygoing things like burritos or just tacos. They still focus on on, on, on good ingredients, good quality. Uh, but then when this opportunity uh, to be in this wine bar uh, came, I just said, like, I, I had a really good hunch, and I said, like, oh, I think this is a really good opportunity to, you know, to move forward in, in my career. And I met with the owner. Uh, her name is Angela, Angela Casims. She has no experience in, in hospitality. And the head chef that was before me, I, know, I think that him and her were like in different directions. And then what they wanted was not, not what they were doing and they were not performing that well. And we started first as a very easygoing wine bar, just doing simple food to go with drinks. And little by little, uh, we start putting more Mexican influence in our food until our clients were telling us like, oh, we really like this. We really like the fact that uh, there's Mexican food in here. Like there's good Mexican ingredients and ideas. And then little by little, we said like, okay, let's take a leap of faith and turn this into a Mexican wine bar. And then we changed the branding into 92, which is 92 in Spanish. And we decided to go full on. Like Angela, she's the most amazing boss I've ever had. Like she, she has no not much experience in hospitality. In hospitality, sorry, but uh, the lack of experience that she has, she overcompensates in how how an amazing person she is. Like we were not allowed to travel because uh, borders was closed, and then me, my girlfriend, which she's my sous chef here as well. And the bar manager, we're all from Mexico. So when they reopened the borders, the first thing she said, like, it's like, guys, let's close the whole restaurant for a whole month. So you should, you could go to Mexico. Don't worry about the restaurant. Just enjoy your family. Like, just go there and, and you know, like, enjoy the time with your family. You deserve this. It's been three years. It's been way too long. And she's the one that offered it. We never even thought about <laughs> asking something like that. What was it like for you returning for that month? Oh, it was just amazing. Like, uh, I think that we, in, I mean, I think that overall, uh, all the, all, most of the people in the world, they're really close with the families. But I think that in Mexico, family, it's just the centerpiece of everything. And I come from a family that my grandma on my mom's side and my mom, they always said and believed that family, it's the most important thing. I remember when I was like six years old, my grandma was having like these conversations telling like, like, Alejandro, you need to understand this. Family will always be there, and you always need to be close to them, and they will always take care of you and make sure that you're okay. And she is probably the main reason why I I, I do this for a living, cooking, because my grandmother, she, will, she just loved cooking. It was just incredible the amount of love that she had into this profession. I think if she would have had a chance to be a chef, she would have loved it, like... She would go to these cooking classes and learn new things to do, some fancy things, some more traditional things. Um, uh, her mother-in-law, she was a really good cook from this little town called Puebla, which is really close to Mexico City. My grandpa was from there. 
and she taught her a lot of uh, traditional Mexican food. And so every little, every single Sunday, we will gather at my grandma's house, all of the family, like her, her six sons and, and daughters with all the niece and nephews, and we will all be there every single Sunday. And she will just cook a feast, and she will love just like uh, setting the tables, putting all the cutlery, making sure everything was uh, taken care of, and then she will cook just whatever she learned on the on the week before. She will just cook it for us, and then some traditional Mexican food. And she will be that person that I don't know. My brother will will call her and say like, "Oh, I'm bringing my girlfriend." Remember that she does she doesn't like that much spiciness, and she will just make a, a small batch of of these albondigas, which is the Mexican version of meatballs. Uh, with less spicy, just for her. And that's how much she was uh, into making sure that everybody was happy and having a really good time. And that, for me, it's the main reason why I love cooking, because she passed that passion uh, onto my mother, and she loved cooking. And then Christmas, my mom would just make all these traditional Mexican Christmas dishes, and people love them, and then they will call her the next year and say, like, oh, can you make three kilos of this green molly with chicken and my mom will be like yes because she didn't know how to say no and i'm a bit like that also as well and uh, she will just be like and then another friend will be like oh i want four kilos of romeritos because i'm bringing it to my party and then my brother is also bringing it to his party and then my mom will be like okay so she will be cooking like for a week and a half just for all the people that were ordering traditional dishes and i think that's why i love that like that's why i love cooking because i saw that food can be something that uh, nourishes and, and makes people happy and and life and good times and good memory usually revolve around a plate of food, even if it's in a restaurant or it's with your family at home. But I realized that food is much more than just, just eating, that just having tasty food is something that will remind you of who you are and where you come from and what you like. And that's why I fell in love with, with cooking. Tell, tell us about the beginnings of your career. What were the first steps in the industry and the, the sort of people that really influenced the beginnings of your career? I, I started cooking because uh, it was a weird uh, first couple of years for me. I, I, I went to be a soccer player, but then, of course, I realized I didn't, I didn't have the set of skills. And I was a bit, a, bit, a bit older. I was probably like 16 years old, about to finish high school and my mom was like what do you want to study like what are you going to do with your life because now you decided that you're not gonna keep pursuing this soccer career and I said like oh I'm going to cook and my mom was so surprised even a bit angry because she was like you've never cooked anything in your life like you've never even poured cereal in your in your bowl like like what are you talking about like how are you gonna be a chef and then, uh, actually, uh, uh, my girlfriend at that moment wanted to be a chef as well. And she was just like, oh, you're just following her. You're just doing what she is doing. Don't do this. This is the wrong uh, choice for you. And I said, like, no, I think that's actually something very interesting. Like, I see you loving to cook and my grandma as well. And she's like, okay, do whatever. It's up to you. It's your, your call. So I remember the first day that I grabbed a knife at culinary school, I cut my finger, like literally the, the first day. And at that day, I was just like, oh, what am I doing? And then I remember that some of my friends, well, some of my teammates, like the classmates, sorry, I saw them that they had some skills, at least. <laughs> they knew how to handle a pan. They knew how to grab a knife. And I was just completely hopeless. And then uh, one of my brother's best friend, he 
was the food and beverage manager for the Hilton in the Mexico City airport. And I, I, at that moment, when I, fir- when I finished uh, first semester, I actually said to myself, like, I, I think maybe I should change my career. I think my mom probably was right. And then that friend, uh, his name is Ricardo. Uh, he was the, f- the first one to tell me, like, just come into an actual kitchen, see how it goes. Don't just uh, make this decision based on, on school and the lack of, of experience. In the end, experience is something that you can gain. And as long as you want to do this, like just work and just um, make yourself better every day. And I remember going into the Hilton and I actually loved it. <laughs> I actually really, really enjoyed it. I remember I was, you know, this unexperienced, very shy little kid with my knives and the chef was this old school French chef, you know, the usual uh, stuff. He was like, oh, those knives are really nice. Are they sharp enough? And I was just like, yeah, I think so, chef. And he said like, oh, do you think that they'll be able to cut 20 kilos of onions? Well, show us. Hopefully, hopefully they they do the trick, and then they put me in all these weird uh, 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 sections. Even I was in the prep section for the buffet, so I was working from eleven p.m. till seven a.m. And my mom, I remember, she was so worried because she was like, "Oh, that's not that's not good. That's not a good life for a chef." I can believe that that chefs actually need to work those shifts. But I actually really, really enjoyed the shift because I was learning how to do big batches of sauces and see how the magic of those of that buffet was happening. And that's when I said, like, no, this is what I, what I want to do in my life. And then the next semester, actually, I was just walking down the street in Polanco and I passed uh, next to a restaurant that the name said Puyol. And at that moment, it was not, not popular. But it said something, said it was Puyol Cocina de Autor. That was their first name. So Cocina de Autor, it is Autor's Cuisine, which was like a big trend in Spain with Juan Maria Arzac and all these, all these chefs. And I remember I just read a book from Arzac and I said like, oh, there's a Cocina de Autor restaurant here in Mexico. I need to go in there and see how it is. And I remember walking in the, in the restaurant and even the manager told me that she got confused because I said like, oh, can I speak with the chef? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, sure, go to the kitchen. And then I went to the kitchen, I asked for the chef, and Enrique was there. And I told him if I could do, uh, uh, if I could go there and do my, like an, a two-month internship because we had like a two-month holiday be- between semesters in my, in, in, in my university. And he said like, yeah, sure, come here. And that's when I started there at Puyol. And, and honestly, Enrique, it's, it's a person that has shown me so many many things like he he's not only a really good chef but i think that he's a really good mentor a good teacher i remember one day i accidentally we were doing like this mame which is a, a, a very traditional mexican fruit it's only it's only um only it only uh grows in mexico it's a very inter- interesting fruit it's like a papaya but a bit sweeter with a texture similar to a sweet potato like a cooked sweet potato even though it's raw and it's just sweet earthy it's just one of the most amazing things to try and we were doing a mame creme brulee and i remember i torched these eight creme brulees for this vip table and then me being so inexperienced i grabbed one of the ramekins with my bare hands i burned myself and i just dropped it and it and it broke it was a vip table and I remember I just blocked myself. I didn't know what to do. 
And then Enrique told me like, okay, go upstairs, relax, I'll talk to you in a second. And I remember I almost cried upstairs because I was like, oh, they're going to fire me. Like, how, how would you do that? And I remember Enrique just went upstairs and he said like, you know what? You need to understand this. It's probably the biggest lesson you can learn in a kitchen. Mistakes will happen. Mistakes will happen all the time. You will burn yourself. You will cut yourself. You will uh, season something the wrong way, put more salt, whatever. The, the most important thing you need to understand is that you need to fix it as soon as possible. You cannot just be there standing, doing nothing, waiting for magic to happen because magic won't happen. You need to make sure that you fix the mistake. And then once you fix it, that's it. You learn and you go. No one's going no to kill you. No one's going to fire you. You just need to fix that mistake. And I realized that he was completely right. <laughs> like, you're always going to make a mistake. Even, even to this day, sometimes you can send the food to the wrong table and be like, oh, my God. But you're not going to stay there and say, like, oh, my God, life send it. No, you just go and do it again. Send it. That's it. And, and end, of the, end of the crisis. And for me, that was a, a really valuable lesson. And then he also taught me, he, I remember telling me, like, you need to remember that food is not, being, working in a restaurant, it's not as glamorous as people want to make you think. <laughs> he said, of course, there's a big glamour in it. And once you become a famous chef, it's, it's amazing and there's a lot of things happening. But working in a kitchen, it's really, really hard. And it takes a lot of commitment, a lot of skills, and making sure that you always try to do things in the best possible way. And for me, that changed my life because it made me realize that I need to work my ass off in order to to become slightly good and that I was not going to be in these cooking shows just because I went to university, you understand? And that's something that a lot of people get confused. They are like, oh, I went to uni, now I, I need to be a, a head chef, when it's not like that at all. Uh, so yeah, working there at Puyol was really, really, really interesting. And then after that, I worked at a couple of places in, in Mexico City. Then I moved to Spain and I had the opportunity to work at Kike Costa doing a stage. And also those guys are amazing, like uh, the way in which they treat food. I remember that they were one of the first restaurants, at least that I knew of, that they were working with ingredients from the region. Uh, they're located in Denia, and then they, ca they have this uh, mountain called Mongo, and they were harvesting ingredients from Mongo. They were using prawns from the Sea of Denia, and the respect that they had for the ingredients, it was just out of control. For me, it was my first Michelin star uh, experience, and that changed my perspective of food completely. It made me just realize that food can be something much, much more than just serving food. And I'm not saying that that's better than, you know, a, a humble traditional taco, but it just made me realize what we as chefs are capable of. of. Of course, you need the skills, you need uh, to be uh, very creative and all those things, but it was just amazing. And then after that, I had the opportunity to be at Noma, which I really, really enjoyed. The guys there were, were amazing. But the other chef that, that also really changed the way in which at least I run my kitchens, it's Grant Akets from, from Alinea. I remember that being at Alinea, he was, um, he was the the most approachable chef I think I've ever worked with. He was, of course, very strict and he wanted things to be done in a good way, but he was always teaching you and making sure that you were learning and making sure that 
that even though mistakes were happening, he, he was the first one to go there and say like, okay, you did this wrong, this is how you should do it. Not yelling at you, not treating you like if you are, I don't know how to say, like if you are worthless, which that's something that in, in some restaurant uh, happened. And I remember that there he said something that I say to my, chef, to my chefs even to this day, like if I don't jail, no one else is allowed to jail. If I'm not treating chefs like, like a piece of garbage, no one is allowed to do that. Like, no one. And me in my kitchens, that's how I run my kitchens. Like, it's, there's no yelling, cursing, treating each other, uh, like, like if you're nothing or, you know, like trying to uh, do these little pranks to your friends because you think that it's funny to see them uh, not do their prep correctly. That's something that I just, I'm, I'm, I just don't let that happen in my kitchens. I just, I'm just like, no, never again. I remember at a certain point, I also said, like, oh, that's funny, you know, like, he, he burned the bechamel of this guy. That's kind of funny. But then, yeah, of course, once you grow up, once you see that, you're like, no, that's not funny. That's just idiotic. That's just plain idiotic. It makes no sense. <laughs> like, it, makes, it actually makes no sense to do that because the other guy is going to be behind. Then you also are wasting money in the prep. And you, what did you get out of it? A laugh? And that, in the end, you're just an idiot. How did you, how did you end up in Australia? Uh, well, in Mexico, I was working for this, uh, I was the executive chef for the dining room for the executive directors of this big insurance company. And it was a very interesting job. It was like the dream hospital job because I was uh, allowed to be creative and do different menus every week. And the owner was from Spain, so he loved uh, doing like this avant-garde dishes. We had some traditional food, also Mexican food for the Mexican directors. But then like 20 of those 50 directors were from Spain and they wanted to do to have some interesting food there. And they had some really big clients. One of them was uh, from England and his niece lives in Adelaide. So he knew the, the owners of the of this big restaurant group in Adelaide. And they wanted to do open a Mexican restaurant. And he approached me and told me, like, oh, do you want to go to, to Adelaide? Uh, uh, my niece says that life in Australia is really, really good. Uh, like, the quality of life and people are really nice and they're growing and it might be a good experience. And I said, like, yeah, why not? Why not take it? At least, at least I want to go there, see how it goes, and then I can always make up my mind whether I want to stay there or go back to Mexico. And I remember going to Adelaide, and yeah, Mexican society probably wasn't the the most amazing restaurant doing the the most interesting food, but the owners were really nice, and I just fell in love with Australian people. I think that they're really welcoming, that in, in the end, Australia is filled with uh, immigrants from different backgrounds. And immediately I just saw that your, the quality of life here in Australia, it's just amazing. And in the end, for someone coming from Mexico, which is a bit of a weird, interesting place, I love it. I love my country and I will always recommend to everyone to go there and try food. But in the end, there's a lot of corruption and it's just super messy. Traffic jams are just ridiculous. Every day in Mexico, uh, me driving to my work was an hour and a half and driving back on a Friday, it was almost two hours in the car. So those are the type of things that I don't miss even in the slightest. Of course, I miss my family, and that will always be the trickiest part, being away from your family 
uh, like uh, three years ago, my mom died while I was here, and that was very hard. It's something that it's it's hard, you know, to be here and not be able to do to do something. But then also the reward of what you get here, and in the end, my mom was the one that that convinced me because when she was uh, sick and I was thinking actually of going back to Mexico, she's the first one that said like, no, like don't do it. Like you're in a really really nice country growing and doing fun things and she was like i'll be sad if i knew that the reason why you're not living in australia it's me so i I want you to stay there like it's 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 the best for you and i agree like yeah being here has been really really good and like sydney has been an amazing amazing experience people are so nice and again since 92 happened i think that it's been a really good couple of years growing getting to know really good friends doing interesting things like at night too we focus on doing fresh tortillas and we bring all the corn from mexico and then this new project with the guys from maybe sammy at the primo sanchez is really interesting because we're trying to do more and more mexican food so yeah i, I just love being here in australia and i i don't regret at all being here it's been the best decisions uh, the best decision i've done tell us how el primo sanchez came about uh, well, uh, Eduardo uh, Conde, he was the bar manager at 92, and we were working together. Um, we became really, really close friends. He's one of my closest friends right now, actually. And then he was approached by the guys from Maybe Sammy to open this new venue. And the pitch was very interesting. It was like, okay, let's do a Mexican bar. Let's offer Mexican food, but let's try to be as authentic as possible, but at the same time being unique. And then Eduardo was the, was thinking like, oh, that's actually literally Alejandro, because that's how I like cooking. I love I I, I love cooking Mexican food that it's based on its traditions, on its ingredients, on its roots. But I've always loved the idea of making something different. Sometimes that's not better. <laughs> Sometimes people might not like it, but I just like doing things that are different. You know that that are unique. Because, I don't know, I just don't want to repeat the same thing over and over again and don't, don't just do the same dish that this other restaurant is doing. You can always take inspir- inspiration, but I always like the idea of making something that it's yours, that it's, in the end, done only by you. And when they approached me and they, they, they gave me the same pitch, they told me, like, oh, we went to Mexico and we love Oaxaca and we love Guadalajara. And actually, I just came back from Mexico, went to this trip to Oaxaca for a whole week and I remember like oh this is the best city in the world and when they told me like oh we want things that are like that like uh, with those flavors and I realized that they are really good at what they do like once you sit down and talk with Stefan or Martin you see why they are in the position that they are they are just extremely professional like it's just ridiculous and I just said to myself like yeah this sounds like a Good experience, good opportunity. I would, I love the idea of, of being able to showcase more and more actual traditional Mexican food to, to Australians, and love the idea that people little by little are starting to realize that Mexican food, it's a bit different to what they were used to, to get here. So that's how I came, I came there, and and the menu in the end we try to do some traditional things like we have an al pastor taco, which is the most traditional street food taco in Mexico City, which is this pork marinated in achiote, put in the uh, standing pit, and then it's just put in a tortilla with fresh pineapple, 
onion, coriander, and then you put the salsa that you want. So we're doing something like that, but we just did like a reverse, <laughs> reverse engineering. So we cook the pork sous vide first to keep it soft, but with like a texture. Slice it, marinate it, put it in, in these skewers and cook it over in a hibachi in direct contact with the coals to give that char that usually the spit will get. And then, we'll, then we just serve it with pineapple, salsa, onion, coriander, so that people can actually get to try a traditional al pastor taco, which I also think that in the end, Mexicans, um, we usually go to al pastor when we are drunk. Like it's like after party, after party food, it's al pastor. So that's why I said like, oh, you know, cocktails, getting a bit tipsy and al pastor is a perfect match. So that's why we decided to put it. And after that, we tried to do some other traditional things like uh, this steak cooked also over charcoals. And then we finish it with uh, like a sort of juice. It's called mole de olla. So that's one of the my favorite dishes that my mom used to cook for me, which is usually eaten as a soup. But I've seen that here Australians are not that uh, big fans of, of soups, whereas in Mexico, every meal needs to have a soup. And this uh, mole de olla, it's usually beef stock uh, blended with chilies, some onions, and then we usually put some beef inside of, of the stock to slow cook in the soup. And then it's served with white rice, vegetables, and a tortilla, which you just use to make tacos out of the beef and do it like a French dip. So you put like the beef inside of the tortilla and then you dip it in the mole de olla while you're eating the tacos. So in this case, we're going to make it a knot, uh, like a, a, a little uh, reference to that to that, uh, to that that plate. And we just do the mole de olla, only the stock, and we use it to, to cover the steak with it and so that people can have like a little reference to the mole de olla. And for the dessert, we try to do fresas con crema, which is strawberries with cream that's something that every mom in mexico will make and they will make it on a weekly basis which is just strawberries cream vanilla and they will just have it there and in this case we try to do that but at the same time we're doing in a in an interesting presentation so we shape the we make like a strawberry cream mousse and we shape it to look like a strawberry and then we put some compressed strawberries uh, pepita crumb and vanilla cream so it's actually like strawberries with cream but presented in a way that will look like a like an actual strawberry there in the ground with just some cream covering it. And in the end, that's what we want. We want to do those flavors that relates to, like, you know, my family. It, it's actually something that reminds me of me eating with my mom, with my sister. You know, first as con crema is something that my mom would love to eat. And those are the type of things that we're trying to do at Primo Sanchez. And I'm really happy that, uh, as I said, the, the owners from, from maybe... They are really happy with with the with the, the aim, and they're not trying to do you know like flour tortillas and and all these ridiculous things. That in the end, flour tortillas are also a bit Mexican, but I would like to for people to fall in love with corn tortillas as much as I've seen them loving flour tortillas here in Australia. Don't get me wrong, they're they're good, and in Mexico we also eat them. They're very traditional, but I think that corn tortillas are the best tortillas that you you can eat, like the flavor, the texture. And I like the idea that they are on the same page. They are saying like, okay, no, let's do actual Mexican food our way, but Mexican. Let's make this place feel like you are on, on a trip to Mexico with the drinks, with the food, with everything. And I think that with this first menu, I'm very happy with what I think the result might be. 
you've uh, been here quite a few years now. How different is the Australian palate and how open are they to Mexican food now compared to when you first arrived? I think that it's changed a lot. At uh, first, again, in Adelaide, I think that people wouldn't have loved trying mole de olla, for example. I, I actually saw people like were just like, mm, this is a bit weird. Uh, but then when you put like a pork belly burrito with, I don't know, hosting sauce, people were just losing their minds. They were just like, this is the best thing in the world. And, but now I think that people are like looking for those things. Like now more people know about Al Pastor. I've seen like three or four places doing it, which is something really nice. And carnitas, I see more people saying like, oh, I want pork carnitas uh, or ceviches. Like now they're also trying aguachiles, which is another uh, version of the ceviche but Mexican way and I do think that Indian I always believe that uh, mm, you always need to do food in accordance to where you are like for example uh, we Mexicans have it weird with with our food because we get very defensive with it which is something that uh, I always say as a joke like you know my mom she will just lose her mind if you were to come here and see a hoisin pork taco. She will just say, like, you are unrespectful. Like, that's something you don't do. But at the same time, you will have asked my mom, do you like sushi? She would have said, yeah, I love sushi. But if I were to take it to Japan and just try rice with fish, you know, with, like, this uh, brush of just shoyu, she, she would have said, like, what is that? That's not sushi. Because she will have loved the sushi with cream cheese, deep fried, chipotle mayo. And she would have said, like, yeah, that's really good sushi. Not this. Uh, and, and, and I do think that in the end, yeah, Mexicans probably will have been a bit weird about traditional sushi at first. And you need to find a way to make it approachable, to make people uh, like the idea of sushi. And nowadays, it's the same. Now people in, in Mexico are opening traditional sushi omakase restaurants, you know, like where they just do the real deal. They bring chefs from Japan and they're doing the real deal. And I think it takes a bit of time. So I think that here in Australia, it's a bit the same. Like at first it was like, okay, this is Mexican food, little by little, people trying different things until they're like, oh, well, actually this is this is quite nice. Maybe we should try the actual real deal of Mexican food. And I think that there's a lot of really interesting Mexican restaurants opening all around, all around uh, in the country, like I just went to Adelaide and there's a restaurant called La Popular. They're just doing an amazing job. It's just really, really small, doing fresh tortillas. And it was, for me, it's one of the best experiences I've had of Mexican food in a terms that it, it actually made me feel like I was in this little taco shop in Mexico City. Here here in, 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 in Sydney, there's this restaurant called Maiz with Juan Carlos. He's doing an amazing job. He tries to do food in a traditional way. And the name in the end, it's maize, corn. And he tries to do everything with corn, but he just doesn't do tacos. He's like, I won't do tacos. <laughs> I'll do everything with corn, but not tacos. And I really, really enjoy his food. I think that he's very intelligent. But then you have uh, like Toby Wilson doing Rico's tacos. And even though he's not super traditional, He's very true to his flavors, and I think that he loves Mexico food that, that much that you actually feel like he's doing actual traditional Mexican food, even though it's this weird Toby Wilson perspective of Mexican food. But at the same time, it actually tastes Mexican. You are like, yeah, this is actually like a little taqueria. And I love him. Like, I think that he's one of the most interesting chefs. I just did like an event with him on, on Valentine's Day. 
and I love the way in, he, in which he cooks. Like he actually cooks like a traditional Mexican mom, and and I love that of him. So I think that little by little there are more and more and more restaurant openings and and doing traditional things. Like in Brisbane, you have Cartel del Taco and you have Baja, um, and Melbourne. You know, you have uh, Mamacita, which has been doing an amazing job for a long, long while. You have La Tortilleria. Like there's a lot of restaurants that are trying to showcase real Mexican food. And I think that that's something that I'm very, very happy with. The fact that it's growing and more people are actually accepting it and loving it. Well, I love it as well. And um, you're, the impact that you're making is extraordinary. What do you love about what you do? Uh, about about uh, being a chef, I love the fact that uh, people live happy when you when they eat with you. I, that's something that, I, that's the, the, the aim that I always have. I love the idea of, uh, I guess sitting out at your restaurant and then going into the kitchen and saying like thank you that was so good like it was just amazing and I also love the fact that here at Tiny 2 and now at Primo uh, people are like they go into the kitchen and they ask like oh I've never tried salsa matcha this is the best thing you should you should sell it in jars like those, those are the type of things I love like people just uh, having a good experience and living with a happy face from your restaurant well, Alejandro, it's an absolute honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, good luck with El Primo Sanchez and everything else that you're doing. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.